This message is produced by the Transformation Edge Church. We believe you'll be inspired and transformed by it. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And can I ask you to just lift those hands up to him for a minute and just say, God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here, for this opportunity to worship you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this house who are here right now. Thank you for granting me this opportunity to worship together with them. Thank you for your word we'll hear tonight. And as I've lifted my hands, God, let it be that your anointing will fall on me like never before. I praise you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Mm. You may be seated. You know how his, his word says rejoice evermore? Say, rejoice evermore. And why is it a command? Because, of course, there will be days where you don't feel like rejoicing. But it says, rejoice evermore. And then it said, pray without ceasing. Pray without giving up. Pray without stopping. Pray. Why did it say pray? Say, rejoice evermore. In other words, continuously rejoice. Pray continuously. But why? Why did he say that? One, yes, of course, to build relationship. And to maintain relationship is also for you to stay alert. To stay alert. When he says rejoice evermore, in other words, you should be conscious of what, you, what you're carrying. The face that you wear every day. The position of your heart. Be conscious of it, he says. Rejoice evermore. And he says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything why did he say everything? Why didn't he just stop at in every good thing? Could have stopped at in every good thing, but rather he said in everything. Give thanks in everything. So put your particular, or rather your current situation in that everything. Right now, just put it right there. Say, so God, here I am. He said in everything. So in this Joy, in this promotion, in this sadness, in this pain, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. I don't feel like, but I thank you. I don't want to, but my spirit is willing. I thank you. You see, the beautiful thing about God's spirit is in, that is in you is always willing. Even when your mind is not willing. Your spirit is willing, but the body is weak, the flesh is weak, Right? Your flesh is what controls your mind. Your mind controls your flesh, you know, vice versa. But your spirit is different. It's separate. It's separate in the sense that he does what God wants. At times your mind carries you far and wide, but your spirit is still one with the Father. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And tonight I'm talking about your position in prayer. Your position in prayer. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So the parable that he told the disciples was to show them. And when he says to show them, in other words, to emphasize. 
The King James Version says, and Jesus told this parable to his disciples to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to lose heart, not to give in, not to give up. So the purpose for the parable, so it's not about the parable, it was about the story, or rather the, the lesson that he wanted to teach. And what was the lesson? You've got to always pray. Don't give up. You've got to always pray. Every time Jesus went away by himself to the hill or mountain, he went there to pray. Every time he was by himself, the Bible tells us that he went to pray. So Jesus encourages us that we should always pray and not to give up. Why did he say not to give up? Does it mean not to give up praying? No. It doesn't mean not to give up praying. So his reasons for telling us to always pray and not to give up, not, it's not not to give up praying, but rather not to give up with your situation, not to give up on yourself, because prayer keeps you alive. When you are alone and you pray, you are not alone anymore, because you are communicating. So men ought always to pray. People ought always to pray. Boys and girls, children, regardless of how young you are or old you are, we ought always, always to pray and not to lose heart. There will always be situations around us in our lives, but Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't give up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, he said, these three things abide. These three things. These three things these three things, he calls it faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. These three things, in other words, hope never changes. Hope never changes. He said these three things, they are constant. They don't change. Every other thing changes, but love doesn't change. Faith doesn't change. Hope doesn't change. And in the place of prayer, there is always hope for something better. And you ought to also have faith in your prayers. So Jesus is basically saying, hey, keep the faith. Pray. Pray. Don't give up. So what's your position in prayer? To hold it constantly. To keep going at it. Um, Acts chapter 12. Verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. He arrested who? Some who belong to the church. Intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He killed James. And when he realized that people loved it, he proceeded to capture Peter. And we are talking about the core apostles of the church. We're talking about Peter. Now, this James that Herod killed with the sword was not just ordinary James. It was James, one of the three that Jesus always takes with him. The inner carcass in Jesus' team. So when you always hear about Peter, James, and John, we're talking about that James. 
It was this same James that was with Jesus, James, Peter, and John, that were with Jesus when Jesus transfigured. They saw his glory. And Jesus told them, don't tell anyone about it. So every time he wanted to do amazing things, or even wanted to walk away a little bit and be by himself. At times it takes these three people, these three, these three Inakakos guys. And yet Herod could lay hand on James. So your first question would possibly be, so where was Jesus? Where was God? You could have said, well, could have captured Judas Iscariot and not James because James was special. This was the same James and John whose mother came to Jesus and said, Jesus, these two brothers, do you mind when you, you know, assume your glory when you get to heaven that John will sit on your right hand and James on your left hand, you know, because of how close they were to Jesus. And then Herod dared to lay hand on James. Where was God? Where was Jesus? And at times you ask yourself those questions. So, so many evil things are happening in the world. What is God doing about it? It gets you angry. And it gets God angry as well. So, so why can't God do something about it? He, but he's God. He can do whatever he wants. True. 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 He can. But how about the responsibility? Whose responsibility is it? Is it his responsibility? Or yours? You see, when James was killed, watch it. He said, when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Possibly when James was killed, the church did not do anything. They thought, oh no, captured James. Oh well, that's so bad. That's terrible. That he captured James. It didn't get their attention until Peter was captured. And thought, oh no, not Peter. Guys, what shall we do? Let's pray. And that was when they realized it was a responsibility for them to start praying. So, but did they have to pray? Why didn't God just do something? No, because he has already given you the responsibility. The Bible tells us that the heaven is God's throne, but the earth has it given to the children of men. And he said to Adam, he said, hey, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and take over. He's given us responsibility here on earth. So if he was going to help us in every little thing, why did he give you the authority? Are you still here? Why would he give you the authority if he was going to help you through everything? In other words, he's saying, this is yours. This is your world. Take over it. Be in charge. Determine what happens on earth. I know you can't do it by yourself, but you've got my authority. The Australian 
Federal police. I was still here. It has the most senior person in the Australian Federal Police, and that's the police high commissioner, right? How many of these police on the street that you see the police high commissioner goes with every time just to ensure that the law is held according to how it's supposed to be? How many of them? None of them. Actually, most of the crime that is solved is solved while the Australian Federal Police High Commissioner is asleep in his bed. Are you still here? Yeah. It's true. He's asleep. But the law is working. Why? Because there's a delegated authority. Are you still here? See, there's a delegated authority. The law works. So the police stops you, or rather you see his lights, you will have to stop. And at times it's just only him in the car. Would you go, ah, because it's just only one person, I'm not going to stop, I'm just going to keep driving. No, it's not the man that you are respecting. It is the law that you're respecting. The weight of the law will come upon you if you don't stop. James was captured and killed. And the church possibly thought, so where is God to come help do this? Until Peter was captured and they realized, ah, oh, Jesus said, men ought always to pray. Verse 4. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squad of four soldiers each. In other words, four squad of four soldiers, 16 soldiers guarding him. In other words, from morning till afternoon, till dinner, till night, so they are changing shifts, roasted, so that this guy cannot escape. And he was meant to be killed the following day. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly. Did they do that for James? No. Because at this point, they didn't understand what it is. But when they realized that Peter was captured, it was time for them to pray. And what do you think happened? While the church was praying, Peter was released, not by Herod, not by Herod, not by the soldiers, but by an angel. It's important for us to continue to see our responsibility in prayer, our position when it comes to praying. You see, things are happening in our city. How come God is not doing something? But God is looking at you to do something because you've got the authority. Same authority. Same authority. And at times he's wondering, so why are you not doing something? Why are you not doing something? Because he's already given you that authority to act. So God, there's so much killing in this city. But the first thing he said is pray for the rulers. Right? He said to pray for them. Because he knows your prayer works. Your prayers will cause changes. He said that we may live a peaceful life. If God wanted to do everything in terms of taking over and scattering people and ensuring that he shows himself as God, where is the loving God? Because he could have done that. He could have ended this whole world and started it all, all over again. Because this world is full of wickedness. He could do that. But he can't do it because you are in it. And it's your responsibility. Abraham, 
in Abraham's day, it was Abraham's responsibility to keep the peace on earth. And that was why before God came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he came to Abraham first and said, what do you think I should do? Because it's your place. It's your place. What do you think I should do? I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the Bible said God saw it fit to check in with Abraham. What do you think? What do you think? The whole world is his, but the earth has it given to the children of men. And when he starts to do things without your opinion or your understanding or your knowledge, he's micromanaging. It's true. Because he's giving you the earth to, to manage. And he does not want to look over your shoulder. He wants you to grow up as a child of God. Grow up. He said, the, the child, or rather, the, the hair, as long as the child does not differ from a slave, although he's the Lord of all. So as long as the child does not differ, it's not different from a slave. But rather, it's under tutors and governors until the time that is appointed of the father. And what time is appointed of the father when he's able to show that he's grown up? That's the time that is appointed of the father. You see, why the scripture talks about is Eddie Hare, although he owns everything, but as long as he's a child, it's not different from the slave or, or, or servants. Although he owns everything, but as long as he's a child, you can't trust him with the inheritance. You can't trust him. Until they show that they've grown up. And one of the ways to show that you've grown up in God is by taking charge of your city. And say, in this city, as long as I'm alive in this city, I'm in charge. And how does it start? By taking charge of your life, taking charge of your home, taking charge of your neighborhood, and taking charge of the city. And you see, gradually, your sphere of influence is growing. It's growing. Your sphere of influence starts to grow. Because even for pastors, it says, how can you look after God's people when you cannot look after your own house? Oh, think about it right now. If I, I'm the only one who comes to church and my wife and my children aren't here. Because you can't lead God's people in God's house if you cannot lead your home. If you can't. You can't. So when you can lead your home, then your sphere of influence grows a little bit. And God gives you more authority. And then you prove that you can lead that. Then he gives you even more. That he gives you from your family to your neighborhood, then from your neighborhood to your city, from your city to, to the whole nation, that you can say one word and spiritually affect the whole nation. It's true. There are some people. Who will speak one word and it will affect their nation spiritually? Who says we cannot have the authority over this city when we know our place in prayer? So think about it. Peter was captured. The church decided to pray and he prayed earnestly and Peter was released. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers was what? Sleeping between two soldiers. In other words, soldiers were standing on, on both sides. So he was standing between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. 
Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. In other words, gave him a little smack on the head. Wake up, man. And woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what, was, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guard and came to the iron gate. In other words, the guards were not even sleeping, but the guards were helpless. You see, at times, just because the church is praying, everything around you that's to pull you down becomes helpless. It's rendered helpless. It's rendered useless. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Peter and John this time, not James. Peter and John. Peter and John were preaching in the, in the synagogue in the temple and people weren't happy that they were preaching Jesus Jesus that they called you know possibly called him a terrorist you know they weren't happy that they were preaching Jesus so they stopped him so many times they even flogged them but this time they healed the sick they healed the sick and it's quite it's quite interesting what happened afterwards verse 18 it says then they called them in again. Or rather, let's take from verse 16. Um, you know, the Sanhedrins, they were saying, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn, warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name, in this name, in Jesus' name. And they called them in again and commanded them. So for them to say they called them in again. In other words, they've called them in before and flogged them. So this second time, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, boldness. Are you still here? Listen to boldness. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? Which is right? To listen to God or to you? And he says, you be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So in other words, you can't deny this. Because they know if they threaten this man further, the whole city will be, there will be a riot. So he thought, you know what, just let them go. But make sure you threaten them a lot. So much that, they, you know, even the thought of preaching the, the gospel will completely disappear. But after that, in verse 22, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Did you see that? They went back to who? Their own people. And who are their people? The church. They went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, when the church heard this, what happened? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Can you see where it belonged? They, Peter didn't go, well, God can see what is going on. God can see. No, God can see, but it is your responsibility now to take charge. It's your responsibility. When Jesus was on earth, when things used to happen, they run back to Jesus and say, hey, Look at what's going on. The seas and the waves. Jesus, are you sleeping? Wake up. 
We're about to perish. And Jesus used to tell them, what's wrong with you guys, oh men of little faith? In other words, Jesus' expectation of them was to do something about it. Do something about it. Can you see why God is not going to do for us what he's already given us power to do for ourselves? Because he's given us authority. We say, call upon me. It's not that he's not seeing it, but it's your responsibility. The world is yours. I've given it to you. Whatever you do with your toy is your problem. I should not be guarding you and say, please don't break your toys. Don't break your toys. No, it's you. You won't be able to play with the toys anymore after smashing it. And you wait till another Christmas before you get another toy. But the world is ours, right? When you are in a rental property, you are careful not to destroy the walls, right? But when is your house? Do whatever you want to do with the walls. Whose responsibility? Yours. Because there's no other landlord. You are now the new landlord. You are the landlord of your city. You are the landlord of this world. Your world. And that's why Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing them because it's your responsibility. He said, and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, bring them to me so that I can make them disciples. He said, you make disciples. And then also he said, you heal the sick Cast out devils, raise the dead. He didn't say, call upon me and I will raise the dead. No, he says, you do it. It's your responsibility. In the book of Mark, a man brought his son who was possessed with the devil to Jesus. But when he came, Jesus wasn't there. So he saw the disciples and said to the disciples, please, my son is grievously vexed of the devil. King James Version. Please, do something. And the disciples did Everything they could do, they couldn't. And then Jesus showed up, and the man thought, oh, man. You know how you feel when all the, um, the learners um, at the mechanic workshop, you take your car, your vehicle, to the workshop, and you realize that these guys, you know, they are, what do you call them? Apprentice. You know they don't know that much, and you're always watching out for their master. Are you watching what they are doing to my car? Are you watching? But you can't really see anything. Are you watching? Are you watching? And the very minute you get into the car, you must find something wrong. Why? Because your mind already said something is going to be wrong with this car. And then you go back to the master and say, hey, your boys have been working on this car and it doesn't seem to be running well. It was the same thing. The man turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, my son, I came to your disciples to help. But nothing has happened. Can you please do something? And the Bible said Jesus spoke just a word and said, come out of him. And the disciples later, after the man had gone, went to Jesus and said, what did you do? How did you do it? And why did they ask, how did you do it? Because they did exactly the same thing that they've seen Jesus do. They've done everything in the book that they've seen Jesus done for the past three years. So what did you do? How did you do it? I, you know, I... Called on Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, whatever names. I called everything just the way you would normally do it. But yet the devil did not leave. So what did you do? How did you do it? And Jesus said to them straight away, so because of your unbelief. In other words, there's no partial game about it. It's either you are believing or you are not. And there's something that James said. He said a double-minded man is unstable. A double-minded. And why did he say double-minded? It's talking about, you're not quite sure. You're not making up your mind what side to stand. 
One minute you're saying, yes, I believe. God, thank you. And next minute you're going, oh God, why's my life like this? And another minute you're so full of faith. You could take, you could cast a whole mountain to the sea. But immediately after that, you come out of that prayer and you're going, God, the situation seems to be the same. And James is saying, why are you double-minded? Be fixed. Be fixed. You know, Moses said to the people, he said, the, the enemies that you see today, so you won't see them ever again. But is they, they, what he said before then was, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Why did he say stand firm? In other words, things are going to happen that will almost move you. But hey, all you've got to do is to stand firm. Stand. It's about to shake you. The wind is blowing badly. But your, your own responsibility is to stand. Take a stand. Take a stand. And take a stand in prayer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Say to someone, don't give up. Don't give up. So verse 23, on their release, Peter, John, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elder said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign God, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. You know, and then they kept praying. Verse 31, he said, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After they prayed, it's our responsibility to keep our prayer lives up and to pray in faith. Don't pray out of fear. Pray in faith. It's a bit tricky. Praying in faith because you think things are going to change just right now. It wouldn't change on your own timeline. And that's why Jesus said, keep praying. You have a way that you've designed for this whole thing to pan out. But you can shorten the time. You can shorten the time by your level of faith. And that was why Jesus said, if you have a faith as small, he didn't say as big. He said as small. Did you realize the, the idea of that constructive sentence? He said, as small as a mustard seed. As small. He didn't say as big. Because then we would have thought, that's how big our faith should be. No, he said as small as a mustard. In other words, regardless of how tiny, provided you have a little tiny dent of faith in you. He said, you can cause mighty things to happen. You can. In the place of prayer, you can. You can. Why? Because when you start praying, your faith starts to develop. It starts to mount up. It starts, it, it, it starts a wild wind. Wild wind starts little, right? And it starts to build up. And the, actually, the only reason why you see wild wind is because of the dirt that it carries along. It's true, right? You don't just see the wind. No one sees the wind. You only see the wind. You feel it, right? You feel the wind. But you don't see it. But when it carries dirt, you can see the direction. Same thing with wild wind. So the wild wind starts tornadoes. And the only way you can see there's a tornado happening right there is because of the dirt that is packed up. Let your prayers move things. Let it move things. Let it become like a tornado in the city. Let it undo all the evil that men are planning. You know, you could wake up at night just because God has planted something in your heart to pray. Because it's your world. God will not do anything in this world without your knowledge. And you've got to be sensitive to hear it. Amen. I'm ready to pray tonight. I'm ready to pray. You know you can change things with your prayer. You can change things. The Bible says, 
in 1 John chapter 5. He said, if we pray, he says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. So are you ready to pray tonight? Stand on your feet. Psalm 24 verse 1, he said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. To the world and they that dwell therein. And we know that he's given us authority. A delegated authority like that individual policeman. We've got to stop the crimes in our homes. We've got to stop the crime that the devil is causing in our homes. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop the crime, the havoc that the devil is, is, you know, is wrecking in our finances. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. And the thing is, you've got the authority in the name of Jesus. You've got the authority in the name of Jesus. And all you've got to do right now is, you know, consider that authority yours and use it in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you. Because the crime, the havoc, the devil is wrecking in my business, in my finances, in my home, comes to an end tonight in the name of Jesus. It will no longer continue to stay. The message you've heard was produced by the Transformation Edge, and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com, or you may contact us via email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com, or on Facebook, The Transedge Church. You may wish to call us on 02-4731-2419. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable.